Here we are right now with some words to share. And today, I'd like to talk about some of my personal experiences that I recently had on a meditation retreat. This can be a kind of blog, vlog, audio blog. Is that what you call it? I don't know what the word for audio vlog is. I know what a blog is. I know what a vlog is. Is it a log? Audio log? I don't know. I guess that shows how non-tech savvy I am. But we're up and running, so it can't be that bad, right? Another sort of thing, well, it's actually not just another thing. It's actually sort of the central thing that I'd like to talk about. It really is the the heart of the issue, <laughs> I could say. The heart of the problem. <laughs> ah, i got to let you in on this joke. It's an amazing joke. The thing that I would like to talk about today is what it's like to meet an angel. Have you ever wondered... Has it ever happened to you? Have you ever met an angel? Well, I have. And perhaps there is no greater joy than mine than to talk about these sorts of experiences. So I'd like to share this experience with you. And really, it takes a bit of a backstory, which is where I was when I met this angel and how I felt about it and the surrounding events. And basically, I met this angel on a meditation retreat where angels are, they're actually actually sort of, well, I don't know if they're common, but there's certain places, let's say there's certain places in the world where you may be more likely to meet an angel than not. Now, there are some places in the world where you would never meet an angel. It's never going to happen. Not going to happen. Many places like this, the majority of places maybe, are in that category. And perhaps there's nowhere where you are actually guaranteed to meet an angel. And there are only places where there's a small chance. But as I've mentioned before, And as I would like to talk about today, I've been on a meditation retreat. And I was there for about 25 days. And this time was different to other meditation retreats because I was serving. So when you serve, you are part of the staff that runs the show. And... Basically, what that meant, or basically a day in the life of that, goes something like this. You wake up at about 4 a.m. and you can either meditate in your room or go to the main hall and meditate. Many days I would just snooze for a little bit. And then at 5 a.m. we go to the kitchen and we start preparing the breakfast We cook the toast, we cook the porridge, we do a bit of cleaning, 
And then by that time, it's 6.30 and the students come and have their first meal of the day. And then the servers have their meal. And then we clean up. And we clean up pretty quick because by 7 o'clock, was it 7 or 8 o'clock? I forget. I forget what time it, it is exactly. But basically soon after cleaning up, we have the group meditation. So everyone goes to that and we have one hour meditation. Then it's back to the kitchen for more food preparation for lunch. By the time 11 o'clock comes, it is time for the students to have lunch and then the servers have lunch and then we clean up and it's a big clean up. There's a lot in serving that many students. It's a lot of dishes because of course each student has a plate and a bowl and a knife and a fork and a mug and sometimes an extra plate. So five times however many students, you can see that a lot of dishes stack up and that's not even to say anything about the preparation dishes or the things we use to make the meals. And after that, after the cleanup, we have a rest. So usually around this time I have a nap and I've really been able to nail the two days in one on this retreat. I'll talk more about that in a moment. But after the nap, you have meditate in your own room or in the hall. And then there's a group sit. So everyone sits together for an hour in the main hall. Then we prepare the evening tea. Students come, have their tea, and then we clean up. And then we have a group sit again for an hour. And then there's the evening discourse, which I usually didn't go to. That was more just for the students. So that's sort of like a rest time or more meditation. And then there's the short evening meditation and a bit of a meeting with the servers at the end of the day. So you're climbing into bed at about 10 o'clock at night. So in total, it's about six or seven hours of work per day and something like four formal hours of meditation. You do four hours of formal meditation with about maybe two or three hours interspersed here and there, which is a bit more relaxed. And then the rest is like rest time and cleaning your teeth and having a shower and that sort of thing. So it's a big day. It's a big schedule. And it's a strict routine, so you've got to be on it. You've got to be in it. You've got to be turning up. You've got to be doing the work. And what I was going to mention before was that this has been really great to do for so many reasons, but also because I've been finally able to nail two days in one. <laughs> it's so good to be able to do this. So two days in one means you have a sleep in the middle of the day. And you do that by waking up very early and staying up quite late. And there are a few things that are needed to be understood about certain depths of sleep and rhythms of sleep and also what you do before and after sleep that can really help with that. And when you're doing this, well, your sense of time really starts to warp because you have two days. You have that sense of waking up twice in the space of 24 hours. And furthermore, there's even evolutionary evidence to suggest that this is actually a more natural way for us to work. Maybe that's counterintuitive. Maybe that's 
a bit of a surprise because you tend to think, or the initial intuition is, you sleep when the sun's down and you're awake when the sun's up, right? That's basically how it works, you would think. Well, no, not exactly. There's actually reason to believe that it's more natural to sleep in the day, in the middle of the day for some time, and to have that kind of sleeping rhythm. Now, I am putting together a course which will address all of these things. So maybe by the time you're listening to this, you'll be able to do that. But I'll talk more about sleeping patterns and sense of time and sense of routine in an online course, which is currently being made. So look out for that. And the other big difference about serving on the course is that you're not entirely in silence. You're actually talking. So it's not 10 days of no talk. You actually have to interact with other people. You actually have to talk to them in the kitchen, do practical things. And there is also a little bit of socializing. There is a bit of interaction. And there is still some segregation, but not complete segregation. So you are talking to boys and girls. You are talking to the masculine and the feminine. So that is a very big difference. And that was probably one of the really, I won't say tricky, but I, I, I want to say challenging, but it's not, not exactly challenging. Maybe demanding is the right word. Confronting? No, it wasn't, it wasn't exactly confronting. Let, let me just say it was tricky. Like it was, it was a tricky thing for me to face. Because I'm used to going to that retreat and having the segregation and sort of just turning in. And then to be in that space and to have women near me, the, the, the feminine energy near me, was, yeah, I mean, it's not clear to me. It's not clear to me what I can say about it. It's not clear to me what it, what it did. I think, I think it did a good thing. Like I often find when I'm in that situation, when I've been in that sort of environment in the past, it's been sort of like, well, now you have to step up and be a real man and do what's required of you. Live your higher values, be respectful, understand your own vices, your own neuroses, your own sort of mind messing around, and really just be a proper person for once in your life. <laughs> it's funny that I hold myself to such a high standard to actually be a real person. I, I wonder sometimes. But that was a big difference, and I learned a lot from that. It was really something. And to really go into the personal challenges of meditating and working in the same day, I really would have to find some words that don't exist. I'd have to invent a new language. And I'm sort of at the point where I'm okay with not being able to explain too much of that. 
I'm okay with not being able to translate that into words. Like in the past, I've I've always had this thing, which is that I go into the inner world and I'm there for discoveries. I'm there for realizations. I'm there for personal openings. But with that, at the same time, I've always got this thing, which is how am I going to explain this? How am I going to translate this experience into something that I can then talk about later on to someone? And this time around, I didn't really have that. This time around, I let go of that. So I can't give you a direct explanation of those treasures that I found. I can't articulate the, th- the sorts of openings that I had. Now, that's not to say that they're not there, and that's not to say that I won't be able to in the future, because there is this thing of integration, right? When you go into that inner world and you find things that are magical or mystical or indescribable, then there's a follow-on effect, which is that later on, you sort of have them translate into more solid structures. So then you are able to talk about them. So it's not a complete loss or anything, but it's just the way things are. And I think maybe that's a kind of maturing for me. I think that's something that has helped me open more to those mystical things. To be able to go into that space and not have the burden of, oh, I'm going to have to remember this, or I'm going to have to cognize this, or I'm going to have to put this to words, then that's a really good thing. Like, it's a real advantage in that space. And, of course, I mean, the also the other thing is that you see certain people, I mean, I'm not... I'm not one to judge. I mean, I'm not one to sort of cast a sort of... Because the same applies to people, right? You can explain your personal experiences and you can explain a person, right? You can have an explanation as to why a person thinks the way they do or acts, acts the way they do. When really, at the end of the day, we are all mysteries, on a deeper level, we can't be explained so easily. But but just the experience of being in a sensitive space and interacting with other people is a it's a it's a wealthy it brings a wealth of experiences to be able to see people like that and to see them in many different ways. So maybe that's probably all I need to say about that. And, I mean, also, it's really hard physically to work and sit. Like, just sitting is hard. But then to work and sit, maybe maybe it's even easier in some ways. Like, to serve on a course is easier than to just sit on your ass because you get a pretty sore back and legs and, you know, I'm a white guy, so it's not really... Uh, gift of mine to be able to sit and I did get a stiff neck at certain times and have posture problems but that's part of it and I think many people have that that's part of the meditation life that's one of the 
challenges. And I'll just add now, which is something that I've said in the past, but I need to say again, which is that the ability to sit does not necessarily equate to expansive interior development. Just because you can sit well does not mean you have elevated interiority. Now, it does help. It does go a long way when you're contending in that environment. When you're contending with that kind of practice, that's all part of it. But it does not necessarily equate to it. And probably there is more I can say about that. But perhaps at a later date, there's, there's, there's a lot to explain in meditation technique. But as you know, we can talk about that more later on. And we have already spoken about it a lot. So let me not get too far into that. Yeah, I mean, my personal experiences, like, the thing about doing two courses was it gave me a sense of how to break deeper into my patterns, into my cycles, because I've always had this thing where I do one course or I do a 10-day meditation retreat, and then I go back And there's a certain space that I'm in, which stays for some time. And then it goes, then it changes. Then it's coming and going in different ways. And I'm like, oh, how come it can't always stay? How come I can't always hold that strength, that power? It's it's like a kind of power that I get put into, Like, like I'm strong, I'm clear. I'm focused, I know what I need to do, I'm sensitive, I'm easily able to identify things that are distractions or things that are working against me. And it's a very, it's like, it's a very enticing space to be in. It's really just like, oh, how do I get more of it? And yet this time I did one course and I had a short break and then I went straight into it again. And the second time I went into it, I didn't have that overwhelming sense of power. I didn't fall into this space of like, oh, yeah, power. I'm really powerful. I'm really aware. I'm really conscious. I'm really alert. That didn't happen. And it didn't come to me in that way. I didn't get to the end of the second course feeling like that. Now... I say that as a good thing. I say that as I've been shown a part of me that I couldn't have seen if I hadn't have done two courses. And in a way, it's it's sort of understandable, right? It's like, what's better than one 10-day course? Well, two 10-day courses. What's better than 10 days of meditation? 25 days of meditation. So... It shouldn't be a surprise that when you dig into a technique deeper, you get more out of it. And for me, the lesson was about the power 
of being alert and being conscious and being aware and being crisp. Now I have the same sort of qualities, but there's a different flavor to it. It's less, it's less determined. And of course, also there was a sort of bounce down, right? There's also a, there's also a come down from a high. There's a, there's a smack with reality, which is that I go on this meditation retreat and then I come back and it's like the city, you know, city life, like there's advertising and there's people like driving and beeping. Like I think on the drive back from the meditation retreat to my house, I got beeped at like three times because of my driving. Like I must have been driving so slow because I was so high from meditation. And <laughs> I was just like, why is everyone in such a hurry? Which is understandable, of course. I mean, it wasn't like, why? It wasn't really a shock. Like, city life, it's not really a shock to me too much anymore. But, and then it's also like, you know, you've got your friends and then the radio's on and then you want to do something and then you go to do, like, I go to do my schedule and I'm like, got all my motivation and then there's complexities and then the things that I thought about that I was going to do once I left the meditation retreat that I started doing and it wasn't anything like I thought it would be in my mind and it's like challenging and different and not as good and I'm like, ah, oh, I need to step up and why does it have to be a struggle? Why is it hard? And there is a kind of after meditation retreat blues. There is a kind of like... Ah, oh, you know, you have this beautiful thing and then you come back and you get smacked in the face. And I mean, like, say you have a job, that's just the same thing, right? Like getting smacked in the face with your job. Like say you have a boss or you have staff or you have customers, you have emails. It's just like that, that crushing wave of society, of the city life, is so hurtful. It's so overwhelming. And the way to really navigate that in a mature way is to understand that the hurt is because of your sensitivity. The hurt is because you are open to more feelings. And the danger is that you'll fall into distraction, numbing yourself out from the feelings. Now, of course, that is to say that you shouldn't just bear the feelings. If you're living in a city and you're starting to become sensitive to how it is toxic, you need to start making changes as to move from that city. You need to start putting things in place in your life, taking steps towards moving away. Start taking steps towards changing the situation that you're in. And it's a hard slog. You can't be too hard on yourself because there are so many complexes. There are so many challenges. There are people that don't want to cooperate. There are limited resources. There are limited energy levels. There's only so much you can do. 
You really have to understand that. So don't be hard on yourself while you're making those changes, while you're working towards it. And don't lose that sensitivity. Don't forget that 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 sensitivity that you have was hard won by being on that meditation retreat and doing that work. And really, this is... This is yet another one of those conversations that we can have again and again because there's so much depth to it. Like, here's the question. How does your sensitivity to your surrounds change your effect? How does it change what you do? How does it then feed into your way of understanding or thinking through what you're going to do next? And that is a deep question. That is a big question. And there are many mechanics to consider. There are many things to make sure you don't fall into. For instance... When you feel more, you actually feel more pain as well as more pleasure. There is a resistance to both. And to sensitize yourself, to become more sensitive, means to open more. Now, there is a third component here, which is that as you become more sensitive to both pain and pleasure... You have a way of moving away from the pain. Now, this is tricky. This is so tricky because you can fall into this thing of away from pain towards pleasure. And that's not the same. That's not the same as being sensitive to both and knowing what it takes to navigate through them. So... I don't know if it's exactly correct to say moving away from pain. That's not a phrase that we can use here. I'll have to recant that phrase, bring that back. That's not the right way of putting it. So those are a few thoughts. Those are a few experiences that I had. Now, I'd like to share this story about meeting an angel, but there's a few things I need to say first, which is that This story is not a reality. This story is not a true story. It's a made-up story. It's in many ways an imagination. And the person that I'm talking about is actually not one person, but a collection of people. So they are in many ways, an amalgamation of real people into a fictional character. So, don't take this to mean that there's someone out there that I think is an angel. Well, I mean, in a real way, there are, but not in this case, in the way that I mean literally. So, With that disclaimer, I'd like to tell you the story. Now, maybe to further deepen this disclaimer, I would say that when we have someone's experience, 
of the world, in so many ways, that experience is unique to them. We all have our own individual experiences, right? It's just your perspective, this sort of thing, right? Now, when we go deep enough into that, we see that it's not just your perspective, it's your own reality. The very reality, the very realness of the experience is entirely dependent on you. And sometimes that's very much devoid of what we, want, what we might call at this stage call external reality or ultimate reality or the real world. So let me tell you about this fictional thing that happened to me on my meditation retreat. And it really, in so many ways, was nothing, right? Nothing actually happened. And that can happen. That can happen when you're sensitive, when you're open, when you've been meditating for 20 days straight. Something that is nothing becomes very significant. So, one of the girls who was a student in the second course started talking to me after she'd finished the course. And it really was just small talk. And I have to say that there was no, there was no real attraction between us. There was no romance. There was no sexuality. Now, she was a pretty girl by some measures, but by every measure, not my type. And of course, also, I was in this space that was not very sexual. Now, if you've ever done a meditation retreat and you've ever gone into it deeply, you, you can, you, you know what I'm talking about. You, you find certain spaces which are not sexual. They're just not like you're, you're dormant. You're not really sexually, you're not sexually minded. You're not dirty minded. And that was the space I found myself into. And of course, the further, another point of this is that, you know, differentiating sex and love or sex and intimacy and sex and attraction is something that if you work on, you can actually do quite clearly. And when you've done that, well, it's very simple to have someone that you're attracted to and that you find good looking and yet you're not sexually interested in or romantically interested in at all. It's like just, it's just friends, completely just friends. And that's the way it is. And that's how it was with this girl. I mean, she wasn't my type. I'm sure, sure I wasn't her type. And yet there was this beauty to her. Yet there was this amazing, like, I, I want to say attraction, but it's not, not the right word. There's an amazing thing that happened when I was in her presence. And she'd just come out of 10 days of meditation and her face had changed and her eyes had changed and her posture was open. And 
she was just looking so magical. And I was on tea serving duty, so I was pouring the tea and she walked over and she said, hey, how's it going? And I'm like, yeah, sure, great. How was your how was your retreat? How was your experience? You know, these sorts of general questions. And she said, yeah, great. How was yours? Can I have some tea? And I poured her some tea. And as I'm pouring her tea, I'm just like looking at her and just feeling this amazing beauty, this amazing sense of purity. It's a kind of it's a kind of silence that was just wafting out of her. It was just oozing out. And I just thought, I just thought, damn, you are an angel. You are just so amazing. Look at all that you are. I just want to celebrate you. And I couldn't really say anything like that. I couldn't really bring myself to, like, it's a bit confronting, right, to say to someone, you're an angel, you know, that can be interpreted in so many different ways. And even if it is interpreted, like, even if it is said favorably, like, it can be, like, lacking in the depth that it really needs. And I said something like, oh, you've changed. And she said, oh, that's good. And then some other guy came around and he was sort of like bumbling around the tea <laughs> and he was like, you know, grunting and pointing at me and then say, oh, you know, like I'd pour him the tea and they say, ah, oh, sugar, you know, oh, no milk, you know, this one, no, this one. You know, I'm like, oh man, you know, like you're, you're cramping my style. I'm trying to talk to this angel and you're just like coming at me for the tea. <laughs> and it's like this guy, this guy is just like bouncing around, bumbling all over the place causing a mess, just like in crowding in my personal space. And I'm like trying to pour the tea and I'm making a complete ass of myself as well. I'm like spilling the tea or something, shaking, trying to, to get it right and get him out of the way and hoping that this angel just doesn't walk off. But he did have his tea and then go off. And then I turned back to her and I was like, whoa, just like, full force like wind blowing you know like you know like in the comedy movies where the guy is in the room and then the pretty girl walks in and his hair blows back with wind or something i'm sure that's in a whole bunch of comedy movies in some version or another right that's that's what happened that's what came to me and Wow, the contrast between this guy who was just like bouncing around. It's like, man, you've been meditating for 10 days and you can't even learn to have a cup of tea quietly. <laughs> but maybe that's too much of a judgment. I mean, he's he's got his own world that I don't know about. So don't let me judge. But in that moment, I turn back to this angel. <sighs> wow, man, what an angel. What Just what an amazing human being. And, and it's like, damn, like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, it's, it's a real problem. It's a, it's a real, it's one of my real serious problems. Like to think of someone as so beautiful and so pure in so many ways and to not be able to say it 
and to not really be able to do anything about it, it, it it's it's a kind of it's a kind of irony. It's a kind of it, it, like I can easily see myself becoming bitter about it. Not that I could even imagine like why or what I would expect, but it's like so much beauty has to fade. Like that moment had to fade because we just spoke a little bit more about small things. And then she went back to the other side, right? She went back to her wherever. And it's like, well, can we be friends? Well, not really. I mean, we are friends. It's not that we can really go out of our way to see each other again. We sort of just have to leave it to chance. And it's like, well, could she be my girlfriend? And it's like, well, no, that's not going to work because she's not my type, right? I know my type. I know the sorts of women I've been with. I don't, th- I don't think it would work. Like, I can't see how that would work. And I'm in a very different space at the moment anyway. I don't think I can do anything with that. And I've got other things going on as well. So it's like, well, what do I do? It's just I've had this beautiful experience with someone and it's a one-off and it might not happen again. And probably no one will ever know about it except me. And it's just, it's just beauty. It's just pure beauty. And what's probably even more astonishing is that it wasn't just one person that I had this experience with. I had similar experiences with multiple people at this meditation retreat. So this story is really an amalgamation of the... Many people that I met, like this one angel is really that there were many angels. And I mean, it's like, I mean, what can you do? What are you going to do in that situation? I guess just be grateful, right? That you can open so much to someone. That you can see so much in someone. I mean it only took it only took 25 days to reach that point for someone to be an angel in my world took only 25 days of meditation and maybe maybe it took longer maybe it's all the work that I've done for years because I have had experiences like this before I have worked towards experiences like this before And there's no formula for it, right? I mean, imagine if you could... Imagine if there was a formula for... (laughs) Imagine if there was a formula for meeting an angel. (laughs) That's never going to happen. I I guess that's the appeal for treasure maps, right? That's why there's so much magic in a treasure map. Because treasure you should just find. Whereas if you have a map, well, wow, that's really something. Right, yeah, yeah, I've just been blown away by my experiences. So, that's story time. That's my personal update. 
And at the moment, many meditation retreats around the world are experiencing overcapacity demand by a long shot. So I was told that the retreat I went to had about 300 applications per course and I think something like 60 people got in. So they only have about space for about 60 people. So what's that like 20%, 10%, 20%? Well, 300 would be 30, 60. Yeah, so it must be about 20%. 20% of people get in. So very high demand for doing a retreat. And I guess that just means, well, we need to learn to meditate at home, right? You need to be strong on your own practice at home. And that's why we have these online courses. That's why we have these instructions. That's why we have podcasts. That's why we have these conversations. That's why we talk about it. It's because the stakes are high. The stakes are the beauty of an angel coming into your life. What could be more important than that? So, yeah, man. I I have no idea what to do about these experiences. Like there's there's literally nothing you can do. There's there's no course of action. Like it's completely impossible. To know what to do. Okay, so that'll be enough for now. Thanks very much for tuning in. My name is Dosta. We'll be back very soon with more. And that's all I have to say for now.